Welcome to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast, the show that talks culture and leadership in sports with some of the most compelling coaches, athletes, and business people in the world. I am your host, Colin Cernelia, and thank you for joining us today. Be sure to check out the show notes for any additional information you want to know about this episode, and you can also find my contact information if you'd like to say hi. If you aren't driving or in the middle of a run, please consider taking a minute and leaving us a review of the show on Apple Podcasts. This is the best way to help other folks find the show. And if you're feeling extra generous, hit share on this episode and post it to your social media handles. Thank you, as always, for all of the support. Don't forget, if you haven't already, to check out my Amazon best-selling book, Culture of Excellence, What We Can Learn from the Yankees About Leadership. This book is a fun and informative read that is filled with impactful stories that will become value adds to your life. I'm a little biased, but seriously, it's a transformative book. You can find that, training notebooks, swag, and information on the Leadership Academy workshop and trainings all in the show notes or go to talent409.com. All right, everyone, we are here today with Carissa Maxwell. Carissa, we have so much to talk about in our episode today, but uh, one of the things I noticed when I was doing a little bit of research and when I sent you that cold email, hoping that you would come on to the show is we have quite a few similarities and we might hit on those throughout the duration of our episode today, but I'd like to start with one of our big similarities is that we're both Penn Staters. We are. (laughs) We Penn State, absolutely. And so I always get a little fanboy when I'm talking to fellow Penn Staters, but, um, you know, I think where I want to go with this is you were in a a seriously unique situation when you were in school. You were a student beat writer for the Penn State football team when the Jerry Sandusky scandal broke out. And so it's one thing, you know, when when I was thinking about this, I was like, it's one thing to report on something from afar, right? But it's another thing to be right in the middle of it and have to do your job and, and be able to get all the facts out uh, amidst everything that was going on at that time. Can you bring us back to that moment? I imagine that was you know, very early, obviously, in your journalism career. What was it like when that all happened? Like, What, what are some of the first things that you remember about that moment? It was obviously very surreal. I was a junior in college. At that point, when you're studying journalism, that's right when you're getting into learning about journalism ethics and you're taking media law. And I also happened to be taking a class called Joe Paterno in the media, where we studied his press conferences and how the media would analyze the things he said. So it really was a very surreal moment to be literally studying the biggest sports story in the country. And of course, one of the first things you learn as a journalist is to be unbiased and to approach everything with an open mind. But when you're a student at this university and you're paying tens of thousands of dollars to go there and you have an emotional and a financial connection to it, it's very, very hard to separate yourself. And that was one of my biggest challenges, but not even more, not even because of my love for Penn State, which I still very much have but because of my love for the student athletes that I had grown to know so closely, just following their stories over the years and just seeing them 
you know, get shown in this light that just wasn't valid to their character or, or what they knew of the program. So it was definitely a challenge. But at the same time, I look back at it now and I'm so grateful that I was there for it. I, I did not feel that way at the time <laughs> at all. I, I don't want that to be confused at all. At the time, I was like, why, why is this happening? Um, but looking back, I got such incredible hands-on experience and I, I learned a little bit about the, what the real world is like. You can't predict what's going to happen. You might think you know someone or you might think you know a school or a program and everything can change literally in a second. I mean, you, I'm sure remember that we didn't know about any of this. And then the next day, our entire world was turned upside down as members of the Penn State community. Um, so for me personally, it was a very eye-opening and hands-on learning experience. Um, it really also is extremely responsible for the path that led me to the position I'm in today, because at the time, you're right, I, I was a beat reporter, I was a radio reporter on our local campus news station, and social media was just starting to really kick off at that point in time, and news was happening so fast from national media outlets who weren't there, who weren't talking directly to the sources, who were just kind of gathering information based on random conversations they were having. And, and I couldn't write fast enough to give my side of the story that I had collected through my reporting or to clarify something. So I just had to tweet. I just kind of gave up on trying to do traditional journalism. And I was like, I'm just going to tweet. I'm just going to get the facts out there. If I hear someone say something, I'm going to confirm with that source if that's true. And Sure, we're not going to be driving traffic to this site that I'm writing for, but this is such an important story and there are so many lives being impacted by it from the victims to the athletes to the families that it just felt like an opportunity for me to kind of get creative and cover the story in a different way. And, and from there, you know, now I am the deputy editor of social media for a, you know, the largest or the, sorry, the oldest sports news company in the country. Um, so it's, it's one of those things where it was really big eye-opening learning moment. And, um, oh my God, I, I, I look back at it quite often and I, I think, how did I not have a drinking problem <laughs> after going through that, being a junior in college and, and having to, to deal with the stress of it all. But it really was a great learning experience as tragic as it was. Um, and it, it made me a better person and, um, I owe my experience i owe who i am today to my experience at penn state sure and you know you were you and ben jones actually were yes. the two people <laughs> when that because like you said it was i wanted the i wanted the local input and it just seemed the two of you had really taken to twitter in a way that especially the national media hadn't caught up to yet so to be able to get those facts in almost real time from from you and from Ben I mean that's how long I've been following you know it's been 10 years so it's uh, it's just really cool to be able to you know, sit here now and talk about it and see where that has taken you in your career and it's almost like you know we talk about this a lot with like the student athletes that I talk to adversity is a really good thing to have because it can help you identify not just if you like something or not, which it seems like it was a really important thing for you at the time, um, but what you're good at and maybe what you're not good at or what you just don't like. And like, it just seems like you were able to do all of those things, like realize that writing the traditional way wasn't going to work for this major sports story, maybe the biggest college sports story of the decade. It wasn't going to work that way. So you had to change. And then, you know, ultimately 
it, the experience as tough, tough as it was at the time, it's just like, okay, this is what I want to do. Like, you know, hopefully I'm not covering <laughs> something like this every single day, but I got through this. That was maybe a little fun at the end of it. And, and, uh, you know, I'm hungry to do more stories and, and be in sports like that. Like, was, was that what you got out of the experience? Believe it or not? No, it was kind of the opposite for a little bit. Um, so I originally wanted to go to law school. I wanted to study media law, contract law, wasn't really sure exactly, but that was the goal. And after reading all of the indictments and the reports and the testimonies, I was like, I can't, I just mentally can't handle this right now. It's just, I need a break. Um, And I was feeling a little defeated because not only that, being a 21 year old college student who, quite frankly, I had no idea what I was doing. You know, I was kind of making it up as I went. We weren't taking classes on how to tweet. Uh, (laughs) So it was very hard and confusing and let's be frank, people on the internet are horrible. Sometimes they could say very awful, horrible things. Um, so mentally it was very hard and it wasn't until I grew up a diehard Miami Dolphins fan. So it wasn't until someone from the Dolphins organization reached out to me on Twitter and said, we've been following your reporting. We're so impressed and we would love to have you come intern with us this summer. And for me, that just kind of gave me validation that people do respect what I'm doing. They understand what I'm doing and they appreciate it. And I must be doing something right. So that kind of, you know, reinvigorated my passion for it, but it was extremely hard at first to kind of accept. I I didn't want to be in the spotlight by any means, especially in regards to what was happening on this national level, this national conversation that was happening. So um, that really kind of made me realize, okay, maybe this is what I want to do. And Ben Jones, he's still like, I love that guy so much. I mean, we were, we were close friends in college and we've been on a few podcasts now. Um, and we love to catch up, but he was really kind of like a guiding light during that time too, because he just handled it. Like he was too, like I said, Twitter was just happening, but he was like, just just gotta keep going. You go, we would make eye contact in the field be like, okay, I guess we're just gonna, (laughs) we're just gonna go with this. Um, so it's, it's definitely, I have to credit the people that I was surrounded with who were going through the same thing, who pushed me. And then the opportunities I got afterwards, it just validated that what I was doing was the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so one of the other reasons I think that, so the scandal is what it is. And, and that was a reason that I ended up finding you on social media and, and following your work. But I think one of the reasons I've continued to follow your work in the years since is um, you're a very honest person. You speak your mind you know, as, as much as you can. You're, you're a straight shooter in uh, this journalism world where, you know, I don't know that that's necessarily always the case. And, um, you know, for a reader, you know, somebody that follows your work. It's something that I appreciate and it's why I continue to follow you. And one of the, I remember one of the first things that I could, I could just like picture you know, how angry it must've made you, but like the, the grace that you handled it with and in the way that you, um, you know, explained why you just won't stick to sports 
when you are tweeting, when you are even writing, uh, even though, you know, mainly sports is, is what you're covering and you get, you know, I'm sure, especially guys that are, are like, why, why can't you just stick to sports? Like, why do you have to do this? Why do you have to get political? Why, why do you have to talk about beer and all this, all this stuff? So uh, can we talk a little bit about, you know, why it's important for you to not just stick to sports? And it's even, I think, in your Twitter profile that you're not going to do it. So it's definitely got to be something that's a part of you. Yeah, I, I guess it's always been kind of my personality that I don't really have a filter. I've always been uh, a little rough around the edges when it comes to that. But I think, I mean, being a woman in sports is, it's hard enough, right? Like you always have to feel like you're proving yourself by knowing some stupid factoid from year before I was even born about like a starting pitcher on a baseball team. I'm not even a fan of it. It's stupid. So that automatically puts me on the defense where I don't need to prove myself to anyone. I don't need to know everything about sports. Most people don't. Um, so that was kind of my approach that I wanted to make it very obvious at first that like, no, I'm not going to be a sports encyclopedia. That's not why I got into this industry. But then even more so than that, you have to differentiate, differentiate yourself. It's such an oversaturated market and everyone's trying to make it and it just gets a little robotic. And it's really hard to really appreciate anyone if they all sound the same. They all have the same takes. They're all, you know, not providing any context. We went to school to learn how to write, how to analyze situations, how to find nuance in a story. And it's selfish to keep that to yourself and to write or provide unbiased opinions, in my own personal opinion, right? Like I, if I have a better understanding of a situation, I feel like I owe it to whoever is willing to listen, you know, what my take is on that, because maybe change of mind, maybe I'm going to piss someone off. I don't care, but it's starting a conversation. And there've been a lot of times where I've said something where it has started a conversation and my mind has been changed, but without me planting that seed, you know, you don't have that opportunity to grow and to learn. And now it's just kind of become part of my brand. Like if I don't say something sassy or straightforward, people are like, oh, this is going soft. So I have to like <laughs> stay on top of it now and make sure like I, every time I put something out there, like I have to let people know what my hot take is. Um, and I like that. I enjoy it. Like I said, sometimes I get met with angry trolls in my mentions, but I feel confident in knowing that I am my true authentic self on all platforms. I don't put up a front like a lot of people that have the blue check next to their name where they feel like, you know, they need to be a representative of their industry and of their company and all that. I'm very fortunate that I work for a company that values us as individuals. They value our personalities, value our voice, and we're allowed to amplify it. And I have taken full advantage of that at every company I've been with. Um, I do also blame working at Vice for three years for giving me a little bit more sass on social media than probably preferred at such an early start in my career. But um, it is something that I, I am very passionate about continuing for myself and also something I encourage whenever I have the opportunity to work with younger journalists is to just be authentic. Don't be afraid to have people disagree with you. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's reminding me, often I say to my wife, I, I don't know why we worry so much about different things, whether it's we're, we're writing something for the public to see, or even if it's smaller decisions in our personal life. Cause I feel like at the end of the day, 
people judge you no matter what you do. So you might as well do what you want and say what you want if they're going to judge you for it. Right. Like it, it seems like that's, that's at least where some of the sass comes out for you is it's like, I know people are going to judge me one way or another. So I'm just going to tell them what I think. And, and uh, you know, hopefully, like you said, that's going to spark a, a, a real, a smart conversation um, where you can <laughs> weed out some of the trolls and, and uh, you know, really get into the deeper parts of what it is that you're trying to report on. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm sorry if I offend people or if people disagree with me, but at the end of the day, I mean, what makes them more entitled to an opinion than me? So uh, that's, that's something that I, I mean, sometimes I, I know I cross the line a little bit, but, you know, I think that's another problem that a lot of people do have that are fortunate enough to have a platform is they can't own up to being wrong or to messing something up. Um, everyone gets so defensive that they just need to sit there and drill their beliefs into the ground and pick really bad hills to die on. If I mess something up, I'll be the first person to say I'm an idiot, but <laughs> I try to avoid that. Um, but I, I just think that that's really important, especially, you know, just as the industry evolves and how we have more access to information than ever before, it's just important to have some personality and provide perspective. Yeah. Now, do you use that your personality per se as, as a compass to not just the stories you want to write, but the way you want to tell those stories? Like, is that something that's always top of mind to mold the, the message that you're trying to get out there? Do you use it in, in that sense? Yeah, I, especially in the newsroom. So especially this past year, right. Between coronavirus, all the social justice issues yeah. um, we have, a predominantly white newsroom and for me and predominantly male. So for them to go and write stories speaking on social injustices and injustices within the black community, well, that's not really authentic, is it? You're speaking to an experience that you've never had. Right. Now that doesn't mean that we can just go out and now hire a diverse set of writers off the bat. Of course, there's budgeting. There's, <laughs> there was a little bit of financial crisis this past year with everything going on. So, you know, you obviously have your limitations, but again, acknowledging that that is an issue that we need to address. That is something that I am very, very vocal about in our no newsroom that we don't have the right voices telling these stories or we're not providing the right nuance to this story. There have been times where we've published stories and we haven't gotten it right. And it wasn't because of malicious intent. It was just because the story wasn't coming from a place of understanding. So especially with our interns that we bring on um, or any new hires, it's one of those things where we want to make sure that we're getting the right people to tell the right stories in a way that's going to not only inform and educate people, but also maybe inspire people to think differently. You can't challenge a mindset and you can't challenge people's own affirmations if you have the same people telling you the same stories the same way with no further context or nuance or opinion or a, a diverse perspective that's going to challenge you. So that's approach that I have that I try to enforce as much as possible in whatever content we're producing at Sporting News. Sorry to interrupt, but I want to help you get fit. Christine here from Sweat with Sods. Being at home has a lot of people in a rut with their workouts, but you don't have to be. My Hit at Home workouts require no equipment and can be done in 30 minutes or less. And if Hit isn't for you, I also design custom programs that can be done virtually, in person, or a combination of both. 
I've put my years of experience teaching classes and personal training into all of my programs. I've worked with lots of people and helped them achieve very different goals. So what are you waiting for? Head to sweatwithstats.com today. And don't forget that as a listener to this podcast, you can get a discount with code DYNAMIC at checkout. Can't wait to hear from you. And now back to the show. So when we were talking offline, you had mentioned um, diversity and being able to amplify different voices in your industry, specifically in my light bulb in my head or my, um, I don't know what you want to call it went off. Cause I spent so many years in HR and talking about diversity and talking about, you know, so I was talking about these things long before um, the whole social justice movement started uh, last year, the big social justice movement started. And um, it's, it's always really interesting to me, um, you know, how we go from something that we talk about to like being actionable with, with things. Um, and so I'd love to learn a little bit more from you. Um, not even if it's just you specifically, but, uh, the company that, that you work for and how you're going about, um, addri- not just addressing these, but, um, making some changes so that you can better represent the news that you report on a daily basis. Yeah. I mean, we are still figuring it out, right? It is an evolving process. Um, the latest thing that we did that I am personally extremely proud of and 1000% endorse is um, our uses full support for the Baseball Writers Association to remove the name of JT um, Taylor Spink name off of their highest honor award, which is given out to a, a writer within the association who is just um, Spink was a publisher for Sporting News. And it was back during the time of uh, integration in baseball. And he wasn't a fan of it. And he wrote some pretty terrible, uh, I can't even say because they were definitely intentional, but he wrote things that go against everything our current staff and our, our current leadership stands for when it comes to providing equal and fair sports coverage, but also just basic human rights and decency. So even though that award is a huge honor and the fact that it was tied with Sporting News for all these years, um, it, it, it's a big deal, but it wasn't really even a second thought for us as a staff to say, you know what, we don't want his name on the award. We're better than that. We're moving on. We owned up to it. We had a, a very awesome 5,000 word story, if anybody has a time, <laughs> that was written by Ryan Fagan, who's a member of the association, um, defending our decision to support the removal of the name. And we, they, they voted to remove it. We're so excited because now it gives us an opportunity to move forward and create our own legacy and, and use this as a starting point saying, listen, we're not perfect. We have a lot more we need to do, but this is our promise that from here on out, we're going to make sure that we're providing fair and equal coverage to any athlete, any story, and we're going to have the right voices telling it. Um, so we still have a long way to go. I mean, even from a, a woman perspective, I'm the only woman on leadership and we only have three women on staff. That's not good enough for me. That's not good enough for anyone, any of the men sitting at the table. They all want that to change too, but we're going to make sure we're hiring the right voices and the right people who are talented enough to fill the positions. But unfortunately it's not a problem you can fix overnight, but I am, again, so lucky that Sporting News is committed to making that change and doing the right thing. Um, and, and I think that it's going to make us 
so much better and hopefully we can exist for another 135 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And those are those, you know, they, they seem maybe small in the grand scheme of things, like when you compare it to 135 years, but those are the type of moves that, that allow you to continue to grow as an organization, because if, if you're living in the past and you are ignoring the way that the world is changing for the better, um, you know, not only might you lose some some writers or you won't get a more diverse um, type of organization, uh, but you'll probably lose the people that actually help your business grow, your readers and your subscribers and, and those type of things. So I think it's a really nice recognition of um, you know, what's, what's going on. And, and even though, you know, like you said, it's not going to happen overnight. Um, but you'll definitely be able to tell 135 years from now what it would be like, but hopefully even, you know, five years from now, you'll be able to look back and be like, wow, that was the start of, of something really cool. Um, and, and now we have, you know, this really diverse uh, organization that's putting out uh, these awesome stories and you're a part of it. And, you know, that's what I hope for you at least is, you know, hopefully in the, the near future, some of these small steps that, that you're taking that you just talked about are going to lead to something really cool in the future. That's the hope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now um, we talked a little bit about uh, being a, a woman in sports and in journalism, the industry that you work in um, just, you know, these, these are probably simpler questions for you to answer at this point in your career, uh, but advice for younger women who are, potentially interested in exploring a career like this, or um, they're in it and they haven't had the Jerry Sandusky moment yet. And they're trying to figure out their path. Uh, what, what, what's some of the advice maybe as far as things they can study uh, platforms that they can take advantage of people they can look up to like yourself. Um, do you have some resources and things that you can share with the listening audience? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my biggest piece of advice that I drill into the heads of all of my interns and anyone who was willing to listen to me is to become as well-rounded as possible. Don't ever let anyone tell you that you can't do something because you're not qualified. And I know that sounds really cheesy, but in a literal sense, learn Photoshop, learn how to write, learn how to audio engineer podcasts, learn HTML coding, learn everything you can. So you're that person that can do it all you can fill those voids and it has nothing to do with you being a woman. It has everything to do with you being qualified. You make yourself into a Swiss army knife that just cannot be denied opportunities. I try to challenge my interns so much to the point where when they're first hired, they're like, why, why did you hire me for this job? I know nothing about social. I want to be on camera. Why am I running social? Well, because I see potential in them. They have a personality, they have a voice. And if they can translate that onto Twitter, well, now they're going to be a social media expert and they're going to be good on camera. And now you're a dual threat or, oh, I love editing video, but I don't like being on camera. I don't know how to write. Well, we're going to teach you how to write scripts and we're going to teach you after effects so that you're not only editing that video, but you're animating that video. And you know what? You're going to be on camera too, because you have a really pretty smile and people are going to want to listen to you. <laughs> you have to put people in, in situations where they're uncomfortable so that they can become comfortable and not feel discouraged to do anything that's thrown at them because this industry is evolving so quickly. You can't just be a broadcast journalism major who just wants to sit on the sidelines and ask questions. Sure. You can't put yourself in that hole anymore. It doesn't exist. You, you have to be a Swiss army knife. Um, and I am so proud of all the interns that I've had 
through my course at Sporting News because they've all done that. They've achieved those goals to the max. I mean, we had uh, one intern who wanted to be on camera. I made her a social intern and I'm pretty sure she hated me for the first week because she's like, I, this is stupid. I don't want to do this. <laughs> she went on to be social media coordinator for an NBA basketball team. And now she's doing social for the NFL. She's killing it. Like she's, I'm pretty sure she's like 10 times cooler than I am or ever will be now. And I take full credit for that <laughs> because I pushed her. Um, so that is, I, I cannot stress enough, just go on YouTube, learn Photoshop, learn all of the things. So that way no one can say, well, she's not qualified. She can't do that because you can, and you're going to prove them wrong. And you're going to make them feel really silly for suggesting that you can't do it. I love it. Swiss army knife is a way better way to say, I, I just usually say like be a generalist versus being a specialist in, in things. And I like Swiss, Swiss army knife a lot better. <laughs> so I'll use that in the future. Now, this is a leadership podcast and you know, you've talked about your interns quite often here. One of the things that is part of leadership is talent evaluation, being able to identify, you know, somebody that can fill that Swiss army knife role before they've actually done any of the work. Um, and so I would love if uh, you could take us through the exercise, what, what goes in your mind, like when you're interviewing a potential intern or you're reviewing their resume, you know, what are, what are the things that you're looking for that have helped you identify people who have been really successful, like that woman that you spoke about, who uh, it was in the NBA and social and now is in the NFL. What, what are some of those components that you're looking for from a talent identification standpoint? I am always looking for authenticity. It, it's so easy for a candidate to sit and they put on their blazer, they put on their nice shirt and they sit on their Zoom call and they're like, I want to be a journalist because, and again, they're robotic and there's no substance there. I can predict everything they're going to say, but I try to have a very, very informal laid back interview. I don't tell them it's going to be that way, but I sit there and I'm in a sweatshirt or a t-shirt. My hair is in a messy bun, act like, like I don't even want to be there or that I'm just, you know, catching up over a beer. <laughs> because I want to see how they are as a person, because yeah. that is going to give me an idea of how they're going to approach different situations and, and how personable they're going to be and how well they're going to interact with athletes or people in power to really get them to trust them, to tell them information. Sure. Uh, so one of my favorite questions that I love to ask candidates that always puts them on the spot and they have terror and fear in their eyes or they can answer it flawlessly. And that's really the telling is I love asking candidates if you had all the resources in the world, all the money, all the access, all the approvals, what is your absolute dream story that you would love to tell? And the people who nail that question are the ones who are so passionate about what they're doing and their mind is always moving a million miles a minute that they're like, oh, I always wanted to tell this story, even if it's something super silly, like, oh, the, my favorite rower <laughs> has a really cool backstory. I want to talk to them. Like it might sound so silly, but the fact that they know exactly what it is and it's so important to them and no matter how much resource they have, that's what they want to tell. That's what I love seeing from people. And I'm like, oh, well, I would love to talk to LeBron James about, you know, what makes him tick. Like, okay, cool. You and every other aspiring journalist in the world. And some people have told that story already. What is your story? 
Um, so that has honestly been, and I know I just gave away <laughs> my secret question, anyone who's going to apply for the internship program, but <laughs> that is honestly, for me, the, one of the most telling factors of the interview is if this person is going to be successful because they're hungry and they're passionate and they're genuine and they're authentic and they want to be here for the right reasons because it is in their blood. Uh, so that is definitely, ah, I save that question for last during every interview because that is the kicker right there that I just get so excited about to hear what they're going to say. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is so cool. And we'll, I guess we'll have to help you come up with a super secret question yeah. <laughs> to take over for. Even your game plan now, but. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but it, it it just really is. I, I think about this all the time too, because again, my my corporate HR background. I just think about how many of the hires I've gotten wrong in my life, and what difference it would have made to do something. Not just the question that you asked. You know something in the same industry or whatever it is, but, um, you know, make, have a more casual approach to an interview setting. I think that's, you know, maybe where a lot of times, and that's like, I think about recruiting in athletics where, um, you know, coaches talk to me all the time. They're like, you know, these, these kids send in these super high production videos. And they're like, at the end of the day, we just want to see, can they, can they hit a fastball? Can they hit a curveball? Um, you know, can they hit the three pointer? Can they do the things that we need them to do? And then we'll talk to their coaches about, you know, are they a good person and, and everything. And it's like, you know, everyone wants to suit up and, and be super formal and put all this money into production to, you know, make this image that doesn't exist of, of you as the person. Whereas like you take the complete opposite approach and you're like, no, like literally I want to know who you are. Otherwise I'm not going to hire you. (laughs) I just think it's really cool. (laughs) Talent speaks for itself. I mean, one of, I'll I'll bore you with another story quick. My (laughs) first intern that I ever hired, he's a local Charlotte kid. Um, He played college basketball. So I'm sure you know that with college athletics, it's very hard to have an internship, especially in sports journalism or any type of job for that matter. Um, So because he was a D1 athlete, he could not have the traditional internships that I had or that anyone that he was competing against for this internship had. But he showed initiative in that he had a personal blog that he wrote almost as if it were a diary and he had it published online that was you know, life as an athlete. And when different things happened that the reporters were covering, he talked about it from his perspective. Now, when he applied for the internship, you know, I'm reading through and yeah, there's some AP style issues and his techniques a little <laughs> off. But when I tell you, I fought like hell for this kid to get the internship purely based off the fact that he showed so much initiative and so much potential and he ended up getting it. He was the first hire we made. And can I tell you to this day, he's one of the best interns we ever had so much to the so much so that he got hired full-time and he's now a writer for NBA international. He is phenomenal. And I don't want to say people doubted him, but because he didn't have that traditional resume that was completely filled out and he didn't have the clips and he didn't have the internships or the referrals, you know, it's easy for people to assume that he's not qualified and he's not alone. There's a lot of kids out there like that, that aren't afforded the same opportunities as the people who can afford to put together that high production highlight reel, yeah. you know, they're just hungry and they're just doing what they can. And, and just because it doesn't meet 
the cookie cutter mold of what we think quality candidates should look like doesn't mean that they should be disqualified. It means that they should be challenged because they're, again, going to provide a perspective that that other candidate may not have. Um, so I, I get excited whenever I see non-traditional resumes or applications because it just means that this person's bringing something new to the table that we might desperately need. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think it speaks to your larger point from earlier, the sports journalism industry is an oversaturated industry, but I think the general population, we're, we're obviously overpopulated. And if so many of us are doing the same things, it's, it's hard to stand out. Not everybody wants to stand out. I get that. But, you know, to, if, if you're, you know, asking yourself, should I write a book? Well, go through the thought process that Carissa talked about on this podcast. Is it an interesting take? Is it, it's not the same story that somebody's written 3000 different times. Is it? Cause if it is, it's probably not going to sell. Nobody's going to care, but is it an interesting take? Hmm. Then maybe you write that book. Um, you know, take that Swiss army knife approach to learning everything about your industry. And, and even if you're not an expert at them all, at least you've done it before. And, you know, you never know. Like I was, I was talking to Marty Appel. He was the Yankees PR director from uh, 1973 to 1977. And the, the way that he moved up in the organization, he started as Mickey Mantle's uh, fan mail answer. Like he, he answered Mickey Mantle's fan mail for, for the people. And, and it's like, it seems silly, but like you put yourself in opportunities to succeed. And that's how you get to be, you know, someone like yourself today, where you're just, you know, it, it seems like you're really thriving. You're just really enjoying what you do. And then you, you meet so many people that are just like, eh, just another day at work. It stinks. Like nothing ever goes right for me. And it's like, well, are you doing all these things that we talked about in this podcast today? Are you putting yourself in a position to be different, to, to, um, to stand out in a world with so many people. And, and I don't know that everybody can say that. So I, I want to commend you for um, not just living that yourself, but being able to uh, teach so many other people through the internships. And I'm sure, you know, things that, that you're not doing for your professional life that you've taken time with people um, to make them, we need more Carissa's out there. Uh, <laughs> and, and so I, I just want to commend you for all of that. Well, thank you. And I mean, but to your point, it, it's not necessarily like, you know, does this meet all the qualifications? Is this different? I think that's another problem that a lot of people have is they overthink things. They make things way more complicated. I mean, put it this way. I have three degrees. I work for a company where we're doing high quality production content and we're writing all these stories. And the most viral tweet I have ever had in the history of my Twitter account was dude sleeping at the Super Bowl. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that didn't require any talent on my end, any high production. There was no thought process. It was just me at the game, be like, hot city, it's sleeping. And it blew up. And that was that like defined my, well, I thought it was going to define my 2020. And then a lot of other things happened. But, you know, <laughs> sometimes people put too much pressure on themselves. Like, go with your instincts. Don't worry about it being the best thing ever. It doesn't need to be the best thing ever. It just needs to be something that you're confident about and that you think is going to work. And if it doesn't work, what's the worst that's going to happen? You get up and you try again. Just take chances. 
Absolutely. All right. We're done with the hard hitting questions. <laughs> we have to talk about beer. Chris and I yeah. are both, both in Charlotte. So, and we both love craft beer, but I feel like Chris, you're going to teach me something here today. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about the craft beer scene. What, what are you liking? I know, I know you're, you told me uh, doing some work for, for protagonist. I love that place. So uh, definitely going to love it even more now that I know that. So uh, <laughs> tell us a little bit about the local scene here. Yeah. So when I moved to Charlotte in 2017, I knew nothing about craft beer. Like I, I had no, I didn't even know what IPA stood for. Um, but I always had a, a bartending experience, you know, back in New York. So I started bartending at a brewery down here and I learned that there's so much more than just beer in the craft beer scene. Uh, there's really a science to it and there's a proper etiquette and you learn so much about yourself and your flavor profile. And I just got so excited by all of it, uh, just the opportunity to learn about something new. And I still have so much to learn. Um, but I am currently, I, you know, I'll bartend some nights at uh, protagonists in South End, but I've been running their social and, and working on their marketing strategy there. So I've had the opportunity to kind of get behind the scenes and, and learn more about the brewing process. Um, and Charlotte is just it is insane how much it's changed just even in the three, four years that I've been here, how many new breweries there are. There's over 50 breweries just in the Charlotte area alone, and they all have such unique identities. Um, so it's one of those things where people are like, oh, Charlotte, should I come visit? I'm like, yeah, if you like beer, otherwise there's not really much else to do here that I've seen, but yeah, beer seems great. Um, so there's a, I, I mean, I could definitely recommend any breweries in the area or any styles. I am all open to questions or suggestions. I actually asked today for people to recommend any sours that they like because I need to make sure I am totally stocked in my sour bucket list now that the weather is getting warmer. Yeah, absolutely. I was just thinking about that the other day too. I was like, I've been drinking a lot of porters, a lot of stouts, you know, during the quote unquote winter down here, but I'm ready for the sours. I actually, I went to, I don't know if you've ever been to Total Beer and Wine up in uh, Huntersville mm -hmm. and found a bunch of milk, milkshake IPAs. That's, that's where I go to dream and die, I guess, uh, <laughs> with, with my beer. Um, if you had to pick one beer, Carissa, that people come to Charlotte, they want to visit you, they want to visit the area, one brewery, one beer, what is it? Ah, okay, well, I'm going to be biased here, but um, for several reasons, I would highly recommend getting the Mercury Hazy IPA from Protagonist, and here's why. Uh, number one, it's named after Freddie Mercury, and that is awesome, because he's awesome and having a beer named after a rock star in general is really cool, but named after Freddie Mercury himself. Yeah. Sign me up. So there's that, but it also tastes delicious. Uh, we have a whole line of hazy IPAs at protagonists and they've all been really, really good. Um, but the mercury is just, I can't even explain it. It's just super, super smooth, super citrusy, and just a very, very easy beer to drink. And I think a lot of people are turned off by the word IPA if they don't know enough about the different styles because they just assume it's going to be super hoppy and heavy and a high ABV. And hazy IPAs are not that. Um, they're very, very smooth, very easy to drink. And number three, the can that they come in is absolutely beautiful and it's bright colors. And I wouldn't be a real girl if I didn't say that I love the colors. So <laughs> I highly recommend the Mercury Hazy IPA from Protagonist. 
They have been out of it for the past couple of weeks, but they are putting in their second round of canning next week. So we'll be hitting the shelves and it will also be available at Top Golf, which is really cool and a random fun fact. Um, so that was my shameless plug for the brewery that I am employed at, but also really love their beer because I get to drink it for free. So I am an expert on the subject matter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Mask up people and go <laughs> to protagonists. Check out that yes. beer. There's there's plenty of other beers there too. I've, I've been there many please times. Wear, and... <laughs> please wear a mask or else you are going to firsthand experience the sass of Carissa Maxwell. <laughs> Because I will yell at you. <laughs> I, I fear that people might want to just see the sass quickly and, and then be like, oh, no, I, I do have my mask after the conversation today. But seriously, bring your mask. people. <laughs> All right, Crystal. Well, thank you so much for joining the show today. I really enjoyed our conversation, not just because we're Penn, Penn Staters, excuse me, but I uh, just really appreciate the, the work that you're doing. And, and again, the, the work that you're doing for uh, other women and just other people in this industry to amplify their voice. And, you know, I think that uh, it's all really special. Can't wait to, uh, it's been 10 years that I've been following you. Can't wait for the next 10 years and, and hopefully a lot of years after that. Well, thank you so much. It was great being on and, um, you know, listen to this man. He's doing a great thing. It's, it's great to just be educating people and inspiring people to just push themselves. So I appreciate everything that you do for your audience. So thank you, Colin. 